Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman, as well as our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, and intern Erica is back on the ones and twos. Uh, guys, today is a more conventional episode because we have a guest today, uh, friend of the pod, second time appearing, Kay Flay. Yeah, we, we had such a good time doing freedoms that we thought, are we ever going to go back to having real guests? But Kay Flay deserves it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, when Kayfley shows up, our friend Christine, that's when you go, oh, yeah, let's go back to guests. Yeah. We're not abandoning guests, uh, dear No, no, no. We love the feature interview, but it's got to be – we're raising the bar, I think, for quality of guests. Yeah, so we're I We're not taking anybody. Not no. that we did before. <laughs> so we, we're getting we're – getting, uh, you're saying there's now like a uh, – Yeah. You're you, a gatekeeper, Max. I am. I'm going to be vigilant. So it has to be Kayfley or higher. Yep. Wow. That's right. Um, so this episode, we're kind of trying something a little new. Normally we would just like catch up and then kind of set up the interview, but I think we're still going to try and do a hybrid of freedom and then a conventional episode. So we're still going to talk about topics. Yeah. I think, it, um, it, it's not going to be like timeless stories that we used to tell, you know, it's not going to be evergreen as we call it. <laughs> yeah. 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 We might just talk about what we did last night, which is actually kind of similar to what we used to do as well. Yeah. No, I feel like we always kind of were like, we wouldn't be super topical. Like if there was like a mass shooting or like something political we want to talk about, then it would be dated. Yeah. But in general, it would almost be like, you know, oh, I went on this date or I did this, which could literally take place anytime in some yeah. ways. Um, but, but, but speaking of hybrids, yeah. you know, I wanted to open with something that is both uh, timeless and evergreen and also a uh, breaking story. Uh, Erica's brother has hickeys. We <laughs> 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 were just talking about this off mic. Yeah. Yeah. Her 16 year old bro has hickeys. Did, did you guys have hickeys? I did, but not until like my uh, late 20s, early 30s. (laughs) (laughs) I was just saying like, yeah, you get hickeys, but like it's when you first start kind of, uh, you know, making out and you, it's like, it's like, oh no, I'm so embarrassed (laughs) of my hickey, but you want people to see your hickey because it shows you're getting some sort of action. Like, so in like grade nine or whatever it was, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm covering my hickey. We don't really want to cover it. So I found it endearing when you came in and said your brother had uh, like 12 hickeys on him. I'm like, yeah. Well, we had a a funeral to attend, unfortunately, the past couple of days. (laughs) Well, it brings out the weirdest in people. (laughs) But that's like one of those places where you don't want the hickey. You only live once. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thought the body was stiff. And also for our listeners, we already said our condolences and everything out there. We're seeming a little flippant. We can do whatever we want now. (laughs) But he he went to my uh, sister, who's 14, and asked her for makeup prior to the visitation. Put some makeup on the neck. Didn't work very well. Mm. I saw it in the car on the way there. I lost my mind. Told my whole family. Everyone was making fun of him. So the younger sister was in on it. She knew, yeah. So, wow. She's she helped, she helped She's with the cover-up. Yeah. Oh, cool. You know what they say, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Literally, in this case. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you ever, uh, ever had a hickey, Max? I'm, I'm sure I have, uh, but not in a while. <laughs> I mean, uh, hickeys are one of those funny things, like when you step back and just sort of like a view it kind of objectively, it's like you're just so riled up that you just start like sucking on their neck. It's, just <laughs> it's like a, ridiculous. It's just like a funny, like kissing even to a degree is a funny thing when you step back. Like, well, when was the last time you like made out with your long-term girlfriend? I Lauren and I had a pretty good make out the other day. You still make out? Sometimes, yeah. Shane, do you still make out? Yeah, Alex of course they do. loves making out. She's obs- if you, if you start <laughs> kissing Alex and you don't pull away, she will never stop ever. <laughs> do you like making out still? Um, well, <laughs> with just with Alex, it's I get pressure because I'm always the one to pull away, and then she, it hurts her feelings. <laughs> so I'm I almost have like an adverse reaction to it now. I like making out in the heat of passion. Yeah, I don't like making out if it's like oh the Raptors scored. Sometimes I just want to go, Mwah! and she'll be like, <laughs> and I'm like ah oh, no, now I gotta hurt her feelings. <laughs> 
But Alex oh, is man. the first person ever to give me a hickey. Up until then, I did not know what a, a hickey was. Seriously? Yeah, I didn't no. know know how they happened. I thought it was like a, a joke thing, like putting a vacuum to your neck or something. I didn't know what it was. Really. Yeah. yeah. Did do your parents approve of the girlfriend and her naughty ways? No. So of course, my next step was to find out who this girl is. Oh, you didn't even know her. Some random. No, he doesn't have a girlfriend or anything. And he went to a party on Saturday night and stayed the night. Oh, how old's your brother? Man. He, he's in grade twelve. Wow. I was like, wow, mom, tables have really turned since I was in the 12th grade. I yeah, I think with each passing kid, stuff. parents start to care the, less and less. Yeah. Do you think yeah, it's totally. a thing where it's like guys, like boys will be yes. boys? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely a double standard in my household too with like mm. what the boys are allowed to do and what the girls were allowed to do. Is Jack going to school next year? Um, Fifth year. Fifth year. Cool. Victory lap. Uh, he, he should just get out of there and start partying in college. <laughs> That's great advice, Max. No. Real nice. <laughs> the singer of Arkells told me I should drop out, get more hickeys. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he listens. He listens to every episode. So he and he's cool this. with us talking about this. Well, <laughs> you better be. we'll find listen, out. <laughs> listen, we have a lot of high-maintenance friends who put their foot down and say, you got to take that out of the pod. Stop. We're not listening to fucking Jack. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, Jack. It's in the pod. You don't okay. have to say, Jack. Speaking of high-maintenance friends that get upset, uh, we <laughs> talked about the strokes last night and our great friend, uh, The Nut. He just wanted us to clarify a few things. Uh, so I started seeing these texts this morning, uh, a lot of for-the-record sort of stuff. So I said, okay, Birch, uh, you write out exactly what you want us to say so that we can make corrections on the air about how we presented uh, your relationship with Albert Hammond, which is fair because he, sometimes he does think that we misrepresent him. So he says, a bunch of champagne boys. This is how he met Albert Hammond Jr. and eventually got on a plane absinthe in Hamilton in like 2008 or whatever. In reference to our last episode. To our last episode. So a bunch of champagne boys went to New York and Albert Hammond was at Brooklyn Bowl. I had liquid courage, went up to Albert and told him we did a cool weekly party in Hamilton, which is the Brooklyn of Toronto, and he and he should come play it. He put me in touch with his manager, and we put together the deal. Also, when I picked him up, I took Greg and him, and Greg hit it off big time. This is my brother, Greg, uh, talking about movies, and I'm convinced to this day Greg and Albert could have been best friends if Greg would have stayed in touch. Greg has never seemed cooler. But that's not his issue. All that stuff you mentioned, like he wanted to clarify with us. His issue is he doesn't want people thinking he lied on his Insta. <laughs> so what, I didn't quite understand that. Did he say something on his Insta that no, I'm missing? No, because I said that uh, because you, were, you, Max, were saying that he met the manager uh, oh. to set up the deal. Yeah, and I was, I, like, I was like, oh, on his Instagram, he said that he met Albert himself directly in, in person directly oh, and i thought oh like it's instagram maybe he exaggerated as people tend to do but virtual wants to make it clear he didn't exaggerate in fact he told the exact truth that he met him at a, a bowling alley after uh getting and i got that wrong so i apologize uh, and, and he also wanted to say that he paid him way less than 10 k that Albert didn't do it for the money, that he did it to come and, and hang out. And hang but out I will him. say this. He told me he did it for <laughs> that. So he, he definitely lied to me because I really remember it because I'm a big, like, I'm going to ask you about the money question. You yeah. do like to ask oh, about to, the money. To Albert Hammond Jr.? No, to, oh, to Birchall. To Birchall. Yeah. And he told me the amount, and I was like, how could it be that much and you guys still turn a profit? And he was saying it was more like a long-term thing to give absinthe cachet. Mm -hmm. I really remember this. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but he, he's since clarified and said it was not that much, and that Albert did it for yeah, fun. Yes, so we only lied to me. And I have another correction about the stroke show. I just got a message from Sean Dawson. He wanted to say that Nick Valenzi was wearing baggy khakis and a leopard print blazer. <laughs> okay, good to know. Yeah, <laughs> that's all though. Just if we're doing strokes corrections, uh, yeah. Well, you know, we all do crazy things when we're kids, get hickeys, uh, <laughs> lie about uh, booking an international musician, <laughs> superstar. Uh, we all have different things that we do. 
Guys, what else are we talking about Speaking today? Speaking of liquid courage, so I, I got to go to the Raptors game again. Yes. Day. Congrats to the Raps. They won last night. They even the series of the conference finals with the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee. What a good game. It Feels was great. You know the what? The first team game they played, I feel like. For, Real team game. And also, it was the first game that I haven't had a heart attack at watching. Because I was like, by kind of middle of the third quarter, I'm like, I think we're good. I mean, I still, I still didn't say that out loud, and I went with Mike D from the band, and he was like, "This is great!" Like he was acting a little too confident. Well, he's a newer Raptors fan, so he doesn't, he doesn't have like the the, the years, baggage, the yeah. scarring that we all have. Yeah, but but in my mind, I was like, I think everyone seems to be doing their part. Everyone's playing well, and um, it was really fun. It was actually great going with Mike, Mike D, uh, who I've known since I was 17 years old. Uh, he was never really a basketball fan or a sports fan for that matter, but in the last two years, basically, he's become an obsessed. A hoops fan i think part of it is because he's always been a reddit guy <laughs> and um he'd find himself on the nba subreddit page occasionally and if you're not into basketball i think that's the best place to start because it's just the way it's presented on reddit you really have like a chance to find the most like entertaining storylines storylines and, and little anecdotes and you really get a sense of all the personalities and the best highlights it's very easy to click around so if you don't care about the raptors but kind of want to get to know a little bit more about nba culture uh, that's the place to start. So anyway, he's super into it. He's like obsessed with the Raptors in, in a really fun way. Does he know his shit? You know, he kind of does. And Mike, Mike's a bit of a know-it-all too. So like, he probably like got super into it, sort of yeah. learn the nuances of the game. He came over to my place to watch. Uh, what was it? Philly, like game two, I believe. Uh, I had a bunch of people over, and yeah, he's he's a legit hoops fan now. Big hoops. Anyway, so we got these things, and we're so lucky, by the way. Um, um, actually, Lauren, as an aside. <laughs> uh, Lauren, uh, who's in nursing school and working night shifts right now, uh, we got to like a little bit of a spat the other day because she, her favorite band's The Strokes, and then it turned out she was scheduled to work, and so she and she's never seen The Strokes, so like she couldn't come to the Strokes, Strokes concert, she couldn't come to another thing the, the previous week, and then she her only night off was the Raptors game last night. Last night, and I was like, I gotta go to this game. I'm like really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And then and she did she did point out something. She's like, Max, the issue with your life at the moment is that you get offered some once in a lifetime experience about three times a week. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, just be aware of that. I was like, yeah, it's very true. You know, what you should. I was thinking about this because you were talking about this yesterday. You were a little stressed out because you were like, yeah, this is the one I could have brought Lauren to this. This is one of those things. Yeah. Like, did you ever think about maybe just like dropping four hundred bucks and buying you guys a couple tickets? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> But like you can afford tickets. No, I know. I know. I, I, yeah. I mean, the, the good thing is it was a late start, so I still got. I put in some dinner time. We went for ice cream. Oh yeah, I walk. know that trick. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, this is not. This shout, ice cream's great. You're just going super quick. <laughs> shout out to Lauren. To I'm gonna make it up to you, babe. Um, but well, did the spat really go like that? That seems very calm. If that's a big spat, we, we're, we have pretty calm spats for the most part. Yeah, she, she's very reasonable, and, and also like I like to think of myself as pretty. Thoughtful partner. But anyway, that's Do you ever raise your voice? Are you ever like, shut up? <laughs> shut up. No, I, I was going to carry on, but no, mm. not really. Mm. Uh, have you ever been so angry that you went, fuck you? <laughs> uh, no, but we do have a bit, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, when, like when we're just joking around, where it would be like, just for comedic purpose, we'd be like, fuck you, bitch. And she'll be, <laughs> be like, fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> and then we're like laughing about it and saying it very loudly. But we have neighbors downstairs. We're on the second floor. And then after a while, and like, and then the, and the insults become <laughs> more and more aggressive. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder, like, I wonder if they're listening to us right now. That's it's a good bit. Yeah. yeah. Also, that sounds like an alibi right now. Now that I, I know exactly. <laughs> no, it's just this thing we do, <laughs> officer. I do. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no. Actually, my friend Matt um, Fruckman, um, he, he always says that Lauren and I are uh, two very reasonable people and like we shouldn't be together just because we got to spread ourselves out because you know, usually reasonable people should hook up with unreasonable people. Even each other out. Even each other yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's not the point of it. That's, the point is at halftime, we were in this board of directors room, which is like a very kind of fancy room down in the – it's like on a lounge area. So you're at the game. You and DZ are in this fancy area yeah. for uh, guests. At halftime. And who walks in? Adam Silver, who's the commissioner of the NBA. Oh, I saw the photo. I was seething with jealousy. I know. And, and, and I almost didn't double tap because of my jealousy, but yeah. I went, nope, only good vibes for this Raps game. <laughs> and I double tapped it because they were up and it was the second quarter. <laughs> Swear to God, that was my thought process. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, so, and DZ had just watched like a half an hour long interview on Adam Silver like yesterday. So he's like, we got, let's go say hi. And like, he never wants to say hi to literally anybody. So I was like, fuck it, let's do it. So he'd go right up to him say, hey, how's it going? And I was trying to think about, like, what is my in here? Because I was like, okay, Adam Silver. And he's there with his wife, too. So the first thing is I really try to include the wife in the conversation. Because I know from Lauren's experiences, when people come up to me and don't give a shit about talking to Lauren, that's a bad feeling. So I really tried to get her involved. Talked about where they live in New York. And my dad grew up in New York. So whenever anybody's like, oh, I live on the Upper West Side, I was like, oh, my dad grew up on the Upper, upper West Side. So there's that point of connection. Uh, but then the, the so cool you just walked up to him and said, "Hey, where do you live?" No, I was like, "Hey, big fan. I think you're an awesome commissioner. Keep doing you like because he's known between all the commissioners as the best, most progressive. Of course, commissioner. I love him. He's awesome, and I've heard him in plenty of interviews. So I feel like I kind of know the guy. But I said, um, you know, did you listen to the new Michael Lewis podcast? Because the first episode is called Refuse Suck. In the first half at the Raptors game, people were chanting Refuse Suck.' Yeah, and he was." interviewed by Michael Lewis about that podcast. And I said, oh, I, I've actually talked to Michael Lewis too. I'm a huge fan. I interviewed him for a Canadian magazine. I told him I was in a band. So we talked about that episode for a good two or three minutes. And then the other connection we had is Hamilton legend Ron Foxcroft, who invented the, the Fox 40 whistle, which is used by every professional referee across the world. The guy is a millionaire. Um, he has the book, I'm a Genius. Uh, no, that's what it's called. It's, it's called Something Genius. Ron, Ron Fox. That sounds familiar. We yeah, talked about he, him on a he pod. He told the story yeah, on yeah, the pod. Story, and yeah. Yeah, but it's not called Genius. It's like, anyway, whatever it's called. He, um, so I said, oh, and Ron's a friend of mine too. He's like, of course we know Ron. So we had a cool, we hit it off. He gave me his business card. <clears throat> I saw that. You put it in the, uh, you texted, yeah. did you text it or put it in the group? I, I put it in the group. Yeah. Do you think that's his cell phone or his office number? It's got to well, be Only one way to find out. Let's call it. Call him on the pod right, right now. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, follow him on Instagram. So I'm like, do you take those photos? Are they yours? He's like, of course they're my photos. Well, wow. most of the time. So anyway, it was, it was a real thrill. Wait, so when did you talk to the wife? You set that all up without sort of saying. Oh, hey, I asked her like, what, oh, what do you do? She's an artist. They live in New York. It, it, anyway, it was just, it, I tried to make the conversation. That's inclusive. great. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, it was, it was a real thrill. And then the Raptors were winning. I was running to a bunch of friends that I knew. It was, it was awesome. It was a great night. Uh, can we talk a bit about Drake? I feel like he's oh, getting yeah. more unhinged. He was massaging the coach. There was a photo that went around of him holding the coach's shoulders. Yeah. And there was a, there was a article that was sent to me today uh, by my friend Carl Armstrong. And the headline was, <laughs> this is in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Milwaukee totally hates Drake, who doesn't own the Raptors, but is somehow allowed to freely roam the court. What was the, 
the, uh, the the tweet you sent last night, which was very funny. It's a still of Drake massaging Nick Nurse, Nurse uh, the Raptors coach, on the sideline. And this guy named Dan Klein goes, this isn't a big deal. I've done this even when I have nosebleed seats. Security lets you through as long as you say you're just stepping on the court to rub a coach's shoulders. <laughs> that was very it's funny. absurd. Uh, and, and, and I find it fascinating. I personally think Drake is great for the team. And I think a lot of people forget when they made him the global ambassador five years ago, six years ago now, the team was terrible. Like, we needed Drake's... We needed the rub-off from Drake's celebrity more than... Like, basically, the Raptors stock was so low that Drake associating with us was more of a risk to Drake. Shockingly, over these next half decade, the team got so good that now they're kind of on par. Like, it's a sort of, like, more symbiotic, like, mutual bene mutually beneficial relationship. But people forget, like, Drake put his name on the team when he was at his highest stock, and the Raptors were, like, this shitty team that never even made the playoffs. Yeah, it's a couple of things. One, I think because we, we watch every Raptors game and we see them all the time, we've sort of grown a little bit tired of his antics. But if you're not, if you don't really pay attention to the Raptors, but then you tune in occasionally for the playoffs and you're like, Drake's there, you're like, and you're just some, like, random person from New Orleans or Houston, you're like, oh, yeah, sick, the Raptors, Toronto's kind of cool. I didn't even know. Because like, when I've been to the South, like, or just various parts of America. Some people don't even realize that Drake's from Toronto. So I'd be like, I'm Toronto, and, and you know, Drake, whatever. They'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So I think for people, for the casual fan, it's actually like, it actually is star power in the way, like, when Jay-Z sits. Like, or Jack side. Nicholson or I, any of that Oh, shit. yeah. So, so, but the, the th question I have is just like, I wonder to, like, how quickly does he wear off, like, when it comes to, like, a new Raptor going, oh, sweet, I get to meet Drake. Like, when does that feeling wear off? Is it like three weeks into the season, we're like, Drake's here again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think about that all the time. Like, it's really cool at first. It's like, oh, man, like, he, put, he's gonna, he might put me in a song. And it's like, man, he's really sort of, like, bum-rushing me every time I come off the court for high fives. And, I know. You know, giving me full-on bear hug. And it's like, dude, it's only the second quarter. You know? <laughs> he's so demonstrative. Shane uh, described him in a funny way. We were texting last night after the game, like, about how he's, like, he's like a, an enthusiastic kid. Or maybe that was this morning. Was I? Like, Jeez. you're saying, like, the way that he, like, he can't actually, like, uh, like take the game in, like, cool, like Jack Nicholson. Oh, yeah, he's our Spike Lee. Like, yeah. he'll tell you to all the other players to fuck off, and he'll wait. <laughs> when uh, the Greek freak got fouled out, he was, like, waving in his face. I like all that stuff, though. I think it's awesome. And I <laughs> yeah. think all the Raptors would love it, too. Yeah. Like, he's not really on the Raptors' ass when they play bad. He's just a supportive guy, and he's on the other team when they do anything even mildly wrong. I always get a kick out of his bravado, as if he had just dunked on, like, personally dunked on the team. But isn't that fandom? He's sort of... He's he, feeling like how we all feel. He like embodies Jack, fandom. Yeah. He's the avatar for us all, Max. Would you do that to the level that he does? Would anybody we know go? I do it at home, and he's doing it on the court. Okay. It's awesome. I wouldn't be confrontational with the other players he's, like that's he does. What, yeah, he is very confrontational. Yeah, yeah. Like, like what Shane's talking about. Like, I wouldn't do that only because as like a, 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 a many times burned Raptors fan, I'm always terrified that I'm going to be the person that triggers Giannis to go off and kill mm, us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. I, have, I won't go with other players like that, but I would be so demonstrative in celebrating any great Raptors moment. Listen, like, I, I tend to agree. Like, I think Drake is amazing for the team, and I think that the people that bitch about him are either, like, uh, the, the, the people of Milwaukee who are pissed off that the series is tied when they were printing up championship T-shirts, or older, like, beat reporters that are just like, what is with this new generation? Yeah, yeah. You know, Drake's, Drake's fine, but this is just respect the game, and it's like, eh, it's, you know. No, yeah, I think it's fun. I think it, it adds to a whole, it does add a whole new dynamic at the Raptors game, yeah. which is kind of fun. It's like this extra level of entertainment. Here's a question. Do you think the players ever get annoyed that the spotlight is on Drake more so than them, even though they're doing the work? Maybe. I think that that can be a thing, because Drake, does, here's the thing. This is what you get with Drake. He's the biggest, he's the most famous person on the court, 
in the game last night. <laughs> yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. And and instead of being the most famous person on the court and just kind of like enjoying the game, he also then takes a lot of the spotlight. So it, like it becomes about Drake. Like all I'm seeing, you know, today are these like memes and hilarious jokes about Drake. And it's like if you're the players, if you're Kawhi Leonard, you're like, man, I'm having a playoff run for the ages. I don't think he gives a shit. I really don't think Kawhi gives a yeah. shit. And it's like. In, in, in two weeks or whenever this r- magical run ends for us, no one's going to be talking about Drake anyway. They're only going to remember Kawhi and the shots and how the season went. But sometimes in the moment, it's very fascinating to me. I wonder if the players are like, well, wait a second, I'm the one that hit the shot, but now I'll, I, everyone's just talking about Drake. Yeah, and I also kind of wonder sometimes, like, he had famously had that beef with Meek Mill, but Kyle Lowry's from Philadelphia and friends with Meek Mill. Like, if, it, if that was awkward. Kyle's answered that before. Like, oh, yeah. How he we basically had to, this. like, yeah, exactly. Well, well, Meek tried to come up for game, uh, game what was it, game one of the last round because it was Philly against Toronto. Did you hear this story? No. So basically... But Meek, they're friends now. Me, they're, they're, Meek, they're, Meek they're, the beef has ended. So um, what happened was Meek Mill... This is a huge story leading in. I, th- I believe it was game one. So Meek is basically the Drake of the Philadelphia 76ers. He goes to a bunch of the games. He sits courtside, whatever. Um, so he's, he's friends with the ownership. So the ownership loved Meek Mill. But Meek Mill obviously has had a lot of trouble with the law and like uh, owning... Uh, you know, he was busted with guns and stuff like that. So he's on probation. In mm. order for Meek Mill to leave the country at all he needs permission from a specific judge but this judge she's the one that hit him with like this super harsh sentence remember all the free meek shirts and all that stuff so whenever he leaves he needs permission from her so what happened was the philly ownership wanted meek in the building so it'd be like meek and drake in toronto for game one both in their sort of like representing their respective teams so they basically they they applied like they sent the uh the, the consent form the probation officer uh approved the trip to toronto for game one then they sent it to the judge who has to sign anything when he leaves the country she like actively ignored it all Friday day. What to to basically fuck him over? Philly ownership gets involved, and they're like trying to push it through. They send their own lawyers there to get this affidavit in wow. front of her, whatever you call it, this document. She literally ghosts them. So she's like, "Yeah, no, I'm 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 in, I'm not inclined to sign this for for Meek at you know four o'clock on a Friday, so we can go to this game. I think it was a Saturday game. Ugh. So then Drake tweets on his Insta story, or sorry, Instagram storied. He's like, "This ain't right. We got to get Meek up into Toronto." Uh, Philly's ownership was like wrote like an open letter to the judge about how she like you know was like derelict of duty and how mm. she basically was making it about herself and so anyway Meek didn't get to come up for any of the wow. uh, Raptors games. Yeah. That being said, Gucci Mane made it out. Uh, That's right for game. Uh, and then game I three. think Drake was sort of chirping Gucci, right? Yeah. Well, they were they came to the game together and then because the Raps won game three, they were hanging out after and I think mm. Gucci gave Drake the, the he was wearing a Giannis jersey and mm. anyway, man, this is all really fun stuff. It's I fun. Love it. It's a great time to be in the city and uh, my God, it's it's just really. Really fun. Do, yeah, you th- do you think Nick Nurse enjoyed the massage? <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't long enough to be satisfying. No, I don't mean in that way. Do you think he was like, uh, oh, I like the fact that Drake's kind of touching me here and supporting the team? Or is he like, kind of like when a, a, a male coworker goes up to a female coworker <laughs> and rubs her and she has to cringe and pretend she likes it to avoid an awkward moment? I've thought about this. <laughs> the Me Too situation but with Nick Nurse and Drake? It, it can happen. It's happened to me at work <laughs> it where happen. someone will like Drake touch me you? and it's just a guy who's touching me and I'm like, oh, I can't say anything or it's weird, but I don't like this. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, sorry about that. You look a little tense. <laughs> uh, um, so two things. Uh, I thought about this, about Nick Nurse, because Nick Nurse is a little bit of a, I think he's kind of liking the spotlight. He's, he's coaching in the conference finals. He's a first year head coach. He's sort of enjoying it. So like, do I think, like when Nick had the face, the, the face that went viral with the mouth yeah. agape, I think he enjoyed that he went viral. Mm-hmm. He's going to know that this image is going to show up everywhere. But here's what I kept thinking. No matter how you break it down, and maybe Drake did this because he does feel like he's got some sort of relationship with Nick Nurse, I do think it's mildly disrespectful. Could you imagine Drake ever doing that to Phil Jackson or even Dwayne Casey? No. 
right? Maybe Dwayne so Casey. No, I no don't think way. so. Dwayne's more like he's a, a respect. Dad, like Dwayne's an old school dude. Yeah, right. and, and you know what I mean? And so it's like so. And Nurse is kind of a more sort of like loose, new school. Like, yeah, you know, we're gonna do. He, he likes guitar solos. <laughs> exactly. He, he doesn't yeah. sort of have the gravitas of these other guys. But it made me wonder, like, if you're Nick, it's like, huh? Like, it's weird that Drake felt like he could he could do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Imagine he just kept upping the ante every game, like <laughs> towels, wipes, <laughs> and snapping him in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell like how much Nick Nurse likes the spotlight, or if he's just happens to be naturally a quirky guy. Yeah, because the things that he does and the the way he chooses to dress. And, like, he knows every time they get off the plane, there's a photographer there documenting it. And he's got his own Nick Nurse hat on. Yeah. He's wearing a leather pouch. He's got his guitars on his back. Can anyone buy those Nick Nurse hats, or is that just something he had made? Nike like, made, his wife made them for Nike Father's Nike made him four custom hats. I got to the bottom so of it. So, I can't buy one. I, well, wait. If they win the championship, I'm sure oh, you'll be able to buy oh, a bunch. Okay, because that was like, yeah. That's the deal there. Because I thought he was getting his own merch made. And I was like, you need to be thinking more about pick and roll coverages than your fucking logo, bro. But it turned out it's nice. just two ends, though. It's not like a lot of thought went into it. You don't know how good of a designer he is. That might have taken him three <laughs> weeks to design. When the, when the Raptors were down, honey, is this the right font? <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't you be thinking about how to stop Giannis anyway? But, um, when the Raptors were down two two nothing, my my favorite moment was you freaking out in our Watch Me Nene group about uh, an observation one of the beat reporters made that Nick Nurse was, uh, in your words, yucking it up with the reporters uh, after a practice, but they had a film session to go to, and Kawhi was like. Yo, can we get this thing going? Kwai was waiting <laughs> at the side of the scrum, and it actually went go- longer, and Kwai wanted to get to work, and Nick is literally having a laugh. Yeah, and Nick's, and you were like, this is unacceptable. <laughs> like, you were so furious, because it was like, Kwai's going to leave, Nick Nurse doesn't take his job seriously, everything's falling apart. I was like, you have to appear to be working harder than the players, you know? Instead of worrying about your custom hats and getting off the plane like you're touring with the Eagles with your fucking (laughs) guitar on your back. Anyway. But again, I'm not a reasonable person during the playoffs. I admit this. My ebbs and flows are insane. Like... I, you know, I'm a pretty even-keeled person in some ways, but then when it comes to the Raptors, the swings are are, are, are fast and furious. Yeah, you must have had a great sleep last night. Oh my God, like a baby. Uh. Well, I wanted to go to sleep because I was very tired. We've been we've been doing stuff like four days a week. We went to the Strokes on Monday. Yeah. Like it's like so I was very tired, but I was so jacked. I just wanted to keep reading Twitter and getting the dopamine hits of like people being like, "This is a series now," and these Raptors showed heart and spirit, and I'm like, "Goddamn right!" <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So anyway, that was the, that was the Raptors game. Okay, so moving on. Do we have topics? Should we? Should I mean, we the only other K-play? thing I was, um, is the Quentin Tarantino movie. Just because I'm kind of fascinated with that guy. Did hey. everybody watch the trailer? <clears throat> of course. Erica, did you watch the trailer? Oh, she's nodding furiously. No, no. Do you know who Quentin Tarantino is? I've heard his name. Oh, I, I was know getting this. You, do you know? <laughs> the, wait, Shane's jaw has just hit wait, the floor. Wait, wait. Do you know the movie Pulp Fiction? Oh yeah, I've seen that. He directed that movie. Good movie. I don't get it. I have no idea what that movie's <laughs> about, even though I saw it. At, do you, but kill, it do you good, know but, Kill Bill? I've, I know it exists. I've never seen it. Uh, what, what, what's the most recent? Django Unchained. Do you know that one? Oh, with Leo. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen a portion of it. My roommates were watching it. I was in and out the of the Glorious room. Bastards? Never seen it. What's uh, Reservoir Dogs? No. Oh, my God. This is insane to me. <laughs> yeah. Is this not mind-blowing to you guys? Yeah. No. No? No. I'm not a movie. Well, guy, no, no, her aren't like cinephiles in the way that we are. I no, just, but also, she's I just, younger. All, all these movies, like Pulp Fiction's the one, the canon. That's like that'll be on like the whatever film institute's top hundred American movies of all time. She's seen that one. But you said you don't get it. No, I googled it like for like a week after, and I was like, "What does it mean? What was the oh. symbol?" Yeah, I but wouldn't overthink it. That's what everyone tells me, but then yeah. 
I'm like, is that all it is? Though? I don't think anyone really knows. Like, if you're talking about what's in the case, whether it's the the, the sole or actual gold bars, I think that's like an, an afterthought that's fun to think about. But so, you, so you're a big Tarantino fan? I would think everyone is. No, no, I, no, no. I, I obviously like him, but I don't like love him. I'm, but I'm interested in him, like mm-hmm. because he in him. Does that make sense? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. No, you're interested in him. You find uh, you're fascinated by him as yeah. a tour. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Because he doesn't isn't isn't he saying that he's only going to make ten movies? That's he's what like, he's saying. I know, but I like that. I like the fact that he is like presenting himself. It's like I, I was like put on this earth to make ten incredible mm-hmm. movies. Like that's kind of oh, the he's way great. he's saying he's it. He's a great marketer. He, yeah. he he found a way to make himself famous very early on. And a lot of directors aren't famous the way that he is famous. Well, he has a style that's very distinct. Like there's probably like five directors in the world who have a style that that's that cool. Yeah, and also he writes all of his own scripts, and not every director does that, right? So he's no, like, very few do. Very few do. Also, just the way. Yeah, as to, to Mike's point, the way he's able to seemingly kind of capture the imagination of not only movie watchers but like actors, like A-list people, he gets them in the movies. Like, and the, and the cast for the latest movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is insane. Like, I feel like who else could pull off that kind of casting? Well, because he makes art films that are also blockbusters. Mm. So it's a pretty crazy uh, marriage. And the whole lie that he's saying he's only going to make ten films is to make every A-list actor feel like fuck if I don't play any role here i'm gonna miss my chance to work with one of the greatest directors of all time well there's the famous story and i don't know how true this is but i read that essentially leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to do the christoph waltz role in inglorious bastards so the nazi like the lead yeah. nazi and so they were talking about talking about and leo eventually passes because it's like you know and it's like do i want to do, do a tarantino film i don't really totally know he's an idiosyncratic weird guy but do i trust him blah 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 and leo is very picky about his movies so then he cast christoph waltz christoph waltz i believe won the oscar yeah definitely. yeah uh and then so leo apparently reached out to tarantino he goes i fucked up whatever you have in the next one i want it that's how he got into django so uh, then he, he he was the slave owner in django unchained didn't um, win an oscar did not win an Oscar. Uh, he ended up winning for The Revenant, obviously, a couple years later. Did Leo? he? Yeah, Leo did. That was his. But oh, that was, he finally got it. He I finally got it. Okay. He's won his Oscar, Max. Um, but uh, but anyway, so now Leo, it's like it's like once you're in the Tarantino, like Uma did this with like you know Kill Bill, well, obviously Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill, and she kind of when you watch the junkets, it's almost like she doesn't even really like Tarantino, but she's like the work is so good and iconic that you mm-hmm. sort of you sort of do it. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I'm fascinated that he's he's a celebrity. And you don't have a lot of cele- like what celebrity directors are there? Steven Spielberg, obviously, he's an yeah, old timer. Yeah. But it's like Tarantino's the sort of guy that's like I think he likes being famous just as much as he likes creating these sort of very specific uh, films that he makes. Like he's an artist, but I think he also likes being famous. Kind of like well, he's such a character, way. and he has such a way with words and talking about film and getting people excited about film. Like I'll, I'll go down a YouTube rabbit hole just listening to him reviewing other films that aren't even his own because he makes you understand what makes a great well, yeah film you, great. and all of his reference points in his own movies are like from some callbacks classic, like a callback from like a japanese film from well if you look up kill bill it has like 50 film references that he's plucked right from them and put in kill bill meticulously set and there's up a and wicked it. edit that uh compares them both and he does that with almost every film and it's amazing it is palpable like his fandom for for the medium itself and, and like, it reminds me of like you know, like when Dave Grohl comes around, he's like, oh, you got to hear this Stooges record from 73 or you got to listen to it. Like, you know, like, yeah, you can just tell Dave Grohl is the biggest music fan. He like Tarantino is totally the same way. And actually, our the label's house in L.A. is uh, right around the corner, literally like a 30 second walk to the new Beverly Cinema, which is an old school movie theater that Tarantino bought and owns and curates all the movies. So you can go there and see old school movies that Tarantino picks himself. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty cool. So are we excited for this film? 
Well, I mean, it, well, Brad and Leo together on screen. Well, so the, the movie premiered at Cannes. Cannes. Cannes yeah. And um, sitting at ninety percent of Rotten Tomatoes right now. Yeah, and, I, and the Guardian gave it five out of five. So I'm, I'm excited. Like I was already excited about the movie because it's like old school Hollywood and the cast is wicked. But knowing that everybody, all the critics love it, pretty stoked. The only Tarantino film I haven't seen is The Hateful Eight. Mm, I just really? never got around to it. Wow. Yeah. It's 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 not his best, but every one of his films is amazing. Yeah. Did you know I was on a TV show with Tarantino? No. Fact. I uh, I entered a contest through MTV where you, it was like a it was it was to promote Inglorious Bastards, but basically you had to create a, recreate a, a famous scene that Tarantino did, and I chose Pulp Fiction. So I got my seventy uh, year old friend Bert to play Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> and they uh, they ended up having me on the show and bringing my seventy year old friend Bert. Dressing him up as Samuel Jackson with uh, it wasn't blackface, but he, he we put we, we put we put a little bit of tanner on him and had him in a, a black afro, and then they had him in the crowd saying funny lines for, that Samuel Jackson would say to Tarantino, and we had a dressing room beside Quentin Tarantino. Wow, it was get, amazing. Erica yeah. probably doesn't care, but this was very cool for me. <laughs> <laughs> She's a bigger Burt fan than Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, how was Tarantino? Did you interact with him like in the dressing rooms or behind backstage? We, I think we kind of said hello, but I was freaking out. I was so nervous because he had his name on the door, and we had our name on the door, and we're right beside him. And it was just cool to be in his presence. And then we were in the audience, and they kept talking to us in the audience. And Tarantino actually watched this thing I made about his work. So it's pretty cool. It's it's called Pulp Fictiony. If anyone wants to check it out online, Pulp Fictiony, Pulp Fictiony with a Y at the end. And cool. our friend Sean Dawson on in YouTube. It and Bert, uh, yes, it's on YouTube.com. Uh, Is that his real name? Sean Dawson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Quentin. Yeah. Yeah. Sick name. What What number of movie is this for him? I think Out eight or nine. I, Damn. Well, it's hard to because Kill Bill was in two parts. Sometimes he directed a part of Four Rooms, which you may or may not count. And then there's the uh, that Grindhouse film yeah. that he sometimes counts, sometimes doesn't. <laughs> so it's like his eighth or his ninth, depending. He's on just how you a look great marketer, it. and you you've eaten it up. Oh, 100%. and his first film's called The Birthday, but he's never released it really. Or it, the the lore is it got it caught fire and it can never be watched. Oh, yet. That's awesome. Some it's, people claim to have a copy of it. It's like every time like Jay Z goes on tour, it's the last tour. You know, that's it's just or when Kanye and 50 Cent said they were going to retire, which everyone didn't get the most album sales or any rap beef. It's it's all bullshit, but still, it's very headlines, baby. Um, Okay, so today on the show, our guest is K-Flay. Christine, you guys were Flaherty. Weren't you guys hanging out in in L.A. or or you show in Chicago or something before we did this? Because we Uh, hung out with her like a year ago or two years ago. And it was actually a really fun hang sort of more so than just like uh, an artist that comes on. We really sort of connected me, you and Mike D all hung out after a pod we did. Yeah, that's right. I think we saw her in Cleveland or something last summer, maybe one other time. Yeah, but she's beloved. Like she just has a presence about her herself that people are just drawn to. And she's really, really nice and kind and interested in what other people are doing. She doesn't make the whole thing about herself. Like a lot of lead singers tend to do. <laughs> Talking about you looking in the mirror right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just like a wicked hang. And uh, she kind and she has friends in high places. Like she was on the new Tom Morello record, I believe. She's also uh, sings on the um, Lincoln Park dude. Was um, Chester Mike? Uh, the other one, Mike Sh- get, Shinoda. Yeah, guest on the show. Former yep. podcast. And uh, she signed to Dan Reynolds' label. And Dan Reynolds is a singer of. Imagine Dragons. Anyway, like, just, I can't say enough good things about her. Like, she's, it's not tiring hanging out with her. You know, some people, like, who you even like, who you don't see very often, you're like, okay, maybe go put in some time, say hello. It's not like that with her at all. She's wicked. 
Yeah, she has uh, bad vibes with the first single off this new record. The new record's called Solutions. Um, her single, This Baby Don't Cry, is out now. We actually went and saw her. We did this interview um, at the Drake uh, Hotel where she did sort of like this really intimate, like sold out Ram show. You got up, you did... Uh, Relentless. Yeah, you did Relentless yeah. by Arkells. Uh, yeah, she, she learned the song. I got to sing it. It was really fun. Yeah, it was good. And then we uh, actually, our buddy, former guest, Blake Murphy, speaking of the Raptors, was out with us that night. Oh, yeah. He came to the show, and uh, and then we all hung out and drank after. It was kind of like a whole like, group of dudes hanging out in a booth, and then uh, Christine. Ka- Christine came up afterward. And she kind of like, held court. It was she awesome. Yeah, she just kind of like had her glass of wine, like, like, move over, boys, and like sat down, and basically we just all like chatted and like talked about everything. We were talking about Stanford. We were talking about hoops at, sp- at certain points. Like We kind of covered a lot. She of went to Stanford? Yeah, yeah, she's smart. Oh, yeah. yeah. You obviously didn't listen to the first pod she was on because we got went deep on that. Well, she was nominated for the I Sang for Lupus Challenge and did not do it, so she was dead to me for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, so this was a this was a longer conversation, Maxie. We got we got right into it with her. I think we went for like the forty minutes or something. Oh, damn. Like that. All right, let's get to it. Settle in. Uh, yeah, you guys want to get to K Play? Yes, yeah. ma'am. You can roll. We are now rolling. So all okay. of the all the other stuff that set off well, mic. Well, I will say this: this was off camera. Off camera. Wow, yeah. wow. <laughs> Diva bitch. Okay. Um, um, off mic. I was saying that I subscribe to the podcast. Oh, I'm a regular listener. That is my goodness. Uh, we're honored. Thank you. Very honored. And, and you have a good taste in podcasts too. And you were the very first, and I, thus far maybe the only guest that you were going to come on as a guest. This is two years ago. I was actually just listening back to the mm-hmm. episode. It was April. 2017. Oh, yes. That's right. And you weren't only sort of a feature guest, although you were, but you sat for the whole hour, basically. I just, we just hung out. Hung and out. I remember because you were, um, you guys were in the studio. We were in the studio working and knocking at the, Knock, knocking at the right, door. Exactly. Yeah. And it was because, a secret. Yeah. No one was supposed right, to Right. And we were talking about like Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like the, and the commercial. And, and like everything. baseball. Yeah. And actually, incidentally, I was walking the streets of Toronto last night. Looking for vegetables. Okay. Okay. Because like uh, the tour struggle is just Uh, like man vegetables, and it's not even like I need like healthy food per se. It's just that I need vegetables. Yeah. Specifically, because Mm -hmm. everything else is kind of in abundance. Um, Vegetables are more rare, and so I was like in hot pursuit of a place where I could just get like Like fresh vegetables, like fresh veggies, not at a grocery store, but like a place. And I went out onto the streets, and the Blue Jays game had just let out. Mm. And so it was just like the streets were swarmed with Blue Jays fans. And I was like, you know, I was like swimming upstream. I was like salmon swimming upstream. <laughs> in the anyway. Did you find them? Yeah. Don't leave us hanging. I went to a place. I hope it, I hope like no one's going to, yeah, like I hope it made an okay decision. Okay. I went to a place called IQ. Oh, yeah. That's sort of a health food It's place. like a health food yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. So I found, needless to say, I found vegetables. I think I've been to that one. Where is that again? It's it was like on... Bay Street? Yeah, okay, yeah. Like down in the financial district, there's some down there, healthy spots. There. Yeah, and yeah. a very nice, um, I think he was Irish man. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, gave me some vegetables. vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Not just I'm Now I've here. said, have I said the word vegetables more <laughs> in the this last minute? This is so rock minute? and roll. It might be I, the most. I like this tour story. Is like back in the day, like I was roaming the streets looking for a hit, looking for some, some hair. Now you're just trying to find some cauliflower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I like when you're like, do you know IQ? And I, I nodded like as if I knew the health place, but I'm more of a Snickers man. Uh, I like I eat, I get my groceries at a convenience store. You know, I've never had a Snickers. What? Get out. Why? True story. I'm gonna wait till. When does this air? 
That's a great question. Uh, like not like after Monday, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna wait till that's when we're announcing the record. Um, I know because I was like, how much can we talk about the record? We can. But you'll announce it on Monday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, when the record comes out, or like I think in celebration of it, I'm gonna have my first Snickers. What has kept you from eating a Snickers bar this whole time? Well, my. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all started in 1991. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I have I have two dads. I have my biological dad, and then my adopted dad, who you know in large part raised me. So dad two Tom. They're both named Tom. So confusing. So, um, second dad um, is deathly allergic to nuts. So oh, we had no nuts in the house. Keep them out of the house. Yeah. And I, therefore, I just never had. Candy with nuts, sure, peanut okay. butter, anything like that. And so I didn't have the taste for it. And as an adult, when you eat less candy, generally, I mean, I think, I mean, no offense to... Max and I are being silent here because uh, <laughs> yeah. we have Max, sweet Max tweeted the other day, my favorite restaurant is Bulk Barn. Ew. Do you guys have Bulk Barn in the States? Bulk Barn? Oh, maybe oh, Bulk that's, Barn. That's, that, maybe that's a Canadian thing. It's like... It, you, it's basically any kind of candy or nut, and you get it in a bin. I'm trying it's to think in this giant warehouse. Like, if you want okay. Snickers, you get a giant bin of Snickers, and you scoop them and throw them in a bag. Wow. And they do it yeah. by weight. It's basically like that part of the Whole Foods section. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I know you what you're talking about. Unwrap. You, you get healthier, generally. Right. So, uh, ostensibly, you eat fewer candy bars. And because of that, when I do choose candy, I just go back to my old classics, which is like... Twix, sure. Midnight Milky Way, just because that's in my lexicon. Yep. I, Snickers is out of it. And um, I only recently kind of developed more of a taste for, like, you know those Justin's peanut butter cups? That's I think that's an American thing, the Justin's. Wow. No. Okay. Well, the thing here. And also, you guys don't have Trader Joe's, right? No. Okay, God, this is a horrible situation. So the, the best <laughs> ones are, and actually, I listened to a podcast. There's a Good Planet Money series mm. about this dude in Vancouver who was like going down doing these recon missions in I've Washington yeah. <laughs> to buy stuff from Trader Joe's and then he opened like a fake Trader Joe's in Vancouver. Yeah, oh. like a knockoff Trader yeah, Joe's. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What did he call it? I hope it was something clever. You know, I can't remember, but it got shut down. It was like a thing uh. and all the Trader Joe's in um, Washington had like an APB on this guy. Like oh, if you see this man, yeah. Man, he was smuggling that's narcotics. pretty enterprising of, of him, though. Extremely yeah. getting the people what they want. And then you'd think, why wouldn't Trader Joe's just open up a store? Uh, look at this demand. Yeah, there is a thing in Canada um, where people get very excited uh, to, to try like an American thing. So I remember when Krispy Kremes first showed oh, up yeah. in, in Mississauga, the, which is just outside of Toronto, is the first location, and literally cars around the block. People <laughs> yep. were going nuts. And that, I don't think those donuts are particularly good. Well, also when they're um, fresh. They're pretty good. Come on. Really? <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe I just don't like, do- like a loyal Tim. No, Hortons I just guy, don't. No, I don't care that much about Tim Hortons donuts either. I just don't. I don't think I like donuts that much, which is weird given that I have a sweet tooth. Yeah. Uh, what else? Was another one like American Eagle also didn't arrive until like the late nineties. I might have missed the hubbub over that. Yeah, <laughs> were yeah. you there at opening day when they cut the ribbon? <laughs> no, but I do remember people going I need to the my states. Polo shirt no, now. people going to Buffalo to be like, "Yo, there's an American Eagle out later, down there." Okay. I- I was more of a rock, aw- rock aware guy myself. Rock aware. Rock aware. <laughs> yeah, there's some photos from grade nine. Wow, <laughs> young Max. <laughs> I love my Jay Z man. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but so uh, how have you been? I mean, we yeah. should get into this interview. Yeah, okay. yeah. although it's kind of nice mm. when we just talk. I mean, it is nice to just. And talk. you're a podcast fan, like you said, not only not of ours, although you subscribe and thank yes. you for that. But uh, in general, what is your favorite podcast right now? What are you into? Well, I feel like I've been in a little bit of a podcast desert recently. Oh. Um, just because, so I really, really, and I was mentioning this to you, I loved season three of Heavyweight. Yes. I love Heavyweight. Yeah. I think it's like, I mean. Jonathan Goldstein, a Jonathan, Canadian. Jonathan Goldstein is a Canadian. He's yeah. from Montreal. Yeah. 
Um, Good neurotic Jewish guy. Let our listeners know what, like, what's the, the sort of theme of ah, the podcast. So the premise of the podcast is Jonathan has a guest, and with that guest, he tries to help them resolve an issue from the past. Tie up loose ends. Tie up loose. The mm-hmm. weight that is that is holding them down, pulling them towards the epicenter of guilt and shame, he tries to help them deal with that. And the first, the second season, you know, I'm just, this is an honest opinion, I thought was a little bit me- mediocre, but I have very high standards. First and third seasons are very good. And actually, I highly recommend, I think it's episode two of season three, the Rob Corddry episode. Okay. Is this about him breaking his arm? It's about him breaking his arm. Yeah, he has a memory of breaking his arm, but his family doesn't think it happened (laughs) like as a a child. And he's like, because his daughter basically breaks her arm, and he's like, oh, I also broke my arm. And then his family is like, you didn't break your arm. And he's like, wait, but I did. And his family and his sister is like the memory keeper of the family. And she's like, no, you didn't. So basically Jonathan goes, and they try to figure out. And then Rob's like, wait, did I break my arm? I I don't want to question his own memories then. The, the episode mm-hmm. that was recommended to me by Christine um, is, is probably the most famous one is, a Mo- is about Moby, the, the recording course, artist. Yeah. You, you described this one to me. Yes, yeah, I, I told Christine. I was like, she I've did. told this story about Moby and a long lost friend like, at a number of like, parties, basically. Who had given him music that inspired him, and then he sort of had this career based on this friend's Yeah, and his friend wanted his uh, you know, To be acknowledged. Out. Yeah, to be acknowledged, basically. Yeah. But yeah. not a cut of the, the cheddar. No. He didn't want money. He just wanted... He wanted his CDs back and a little bit of credit. A little bit of credit. Yeah, just yeah. Let, let, let the people know that it, there'd be no Moby without my influence. That's right. Right. What's, okay, so, so I Heavyweight. Love, love Heavyweight. Yeah. Um, I also... Um, what was I listening to? I, I was also listening to the new season of The Uncertain Hour, which came up about welfare. But the new season is about um, the opioid crisis in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But they started off by describing the crack epidemic... Because that was the last big drug epidemic in the in the states, and it's quite interesting because it was made. There's like a really famous um, address that George H. W. Bush, dad of George W. Bush, gave to the nation right after he was elected, in which he held up a little baggie of crack in the White House. Yep. Wow. In the Oval Office, like straight up, and the cameras on the American people, and he's like he's addressing the American people, and he's like. This bag of crack was bought across the street from but the White House. But they set the guy up. Of course. I know this story. I read you know the feature this. on this. This is a fascinating story. It's a, so it's a super fascinating story. And that's the, the starting point for this podcast series. And it's called Uncertain Hour. The Uncertain Hour. Yeah. yeah. And um, every season they talk about, you know, like something that everybody has an opinion on, but nobody knows anything about mm-hmm. is kind of the... The guys of it. Anyway, so I, I just finished listening to that. There's a new one called To Live and Die in L.A., which is kind of true crime, and I don't know why I'm listening to Are it. Are you living in L.A. now? I do live in L.A. Interesting. Maybe how that's long, why. How long have you been there? Were you there when we hung out last? I was there when we hung out last, but I was in a state of, I was in my peripatetic, like. What's that word mean? Traveling. Oh, okay. You yeah. know, never in one place yep. state. Uh-huh. So you've settled in a little bit. I've settled in a little bit. Well, I want to ask about your press release, because... As an artist uh, or a band guy myself, we have to think about the press release because as silly as it is in my mind, it's like very as an exercise. Uh, well, mean, or just, just cause as it's like, like, a like thing you have to do. It's a thing a you way. have to do because ultimately the narrative of the record is going to be shaped by this one document in a lot True. of ways. Yes. I mean, I think now you have a little bit more control over it because journalists will just like check out what you're saying on your Twitter and Instagram and they'll reference that. But they also will look at, um, you know, this press release and say, OK, it was recorded here and it was in a state of 
you know, depression or they wanted to work with a new producer, whatever the, the narrative is. How, how much input did you have in yours? Because you talk a little bit about you coming home from tour and having a bit of a tough time at home. Like, did you, did you help? Who wrote your press release? I want to know. My publicist wrote my press release. Did you edit it? It was actually just sent to me. Oh, we got it. <laughs> so, yeah. Any edits? It, <laughs> That's fascinating. That's fascinating. So it, when you say it was just sent to you, you mean like within the last couple last, hours? Last night. Na- like Seth, my manager, just sent me an update like a couple hours ago. Because <laughs> we got one two days ago. So I think that there's like a preliminary one okay. that's being sent out for early. So what's happening also is because I'm in Canada, yeah. we're doing like early press. Sure. Yeah, this is an early phase of your cycle. Because right. Because your album, like you said, it's not coming until July, Correct. I believe. And so like you, we, we can't even, if this wasn't going to be out until next week, even say the name of the album. Exactly. We're still in very early stages so maybe we got a prototype of the press you release. got a prototype yeah. of the press release but it's a good point because then who if you have it then that's who else what, has it that's what you have yeah and i think like it is interesting the 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 documents and the versions of things and like mm-hmm. the digital age that are just out there like i think about that with songs too where i'm like i've sent versions of songs oh yeah to yeah. like lots in of various people. like stages of completion that just totally and to like my parents and no offense it's like if it, someone was going to accidentally like leak it or something <laughs> my mom would be that person <laughs> she's listening i tweeted to it. i'm so sorry how did you song it's so good yeah. yeah you know and like mom i love you i don't you sh- you'll you understand that but it's um <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's it is kind of freaky, but anyway, sorry, I feel like you were leading into. Oh something. no! Well, the reason why uh, the press release exercise is interesting to me is that it's not that I'm particularly precious about the 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 document itself. It's more just that for the next six months, as you do every interview, it you know the person's going to be referencing it, so you just want it to be good. Right. You know what I mean? Well, like yeah. that's why you there's certain things that you don't have to spend that much time on because you're like, okay, it'll come and go, and it's not going to affect my life that much. You'll be locked into talking points based on what's said in this press release for the next six months. Yeah, and so you have to be really crafty because you're gonna have to think about like, is this something I'm gonna want to talk about in six months when I'm like in Germany doing press? That's a very good point. The most of the premise of the press release was through a really long conversation that I had with a journalist. Yeah who was just basically, like, asking me stuff about the record. Like, not dissimilar to how we're speaking right now. Was the exercise, though, for the press release? Correct. Was for, like, bio, press release, that kind of stuff. And that's the thing. A lot of, like, great music journalists do this on the side, and Mm -hmm. they won't be referenced in the the press release itself. But in uh, in our experience, uh, we'll go to like one of our favorite music journals who we just know is a good writer and a, and a good person at like distilling an artist, and and then they'll be able to craft the the document itself. Totally. Yeah. So that was that's vaguely the process for this, but I haven't edited it yet. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you have that right to if you want to. <laughs> yes. Um, How okay. hands are like are you when it comes to sort of your career and I guess the business of music? Are you sort of, I am the boss, I'm the CEO, I need to touch every aspect of it? Or are you like, I empower people and once I trust those people to do their job, I step back? Well, I'm trying to do more of the latter because I think it's a better way in general. I think when people feel empowered and like they have real responsibility and ownership, I think they do a better job and are more excited. More committed to it as well. Totally. Because they feel like, oh, this is a thing that I was a part of. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's like, because so many artists start just like doing it all themselves so you get you get very controlling and protective um so i feel like on this record i've i've done a very good job of letting some of those things go and i think it's been really productive that being said you know i'm still you know i'm still like 
overseeing everything. And I also think on the flip side, when people like work for you or work with you, them knowing that you give a shit is very important because then what's the point yeah. for anybody? Yeah. So I do think it's a delicate balance. I mean, I don't know if you guys feel that when in working as part of a team, like how you, how you delegate, how you be a leader, how you, but like, no, else, totally. It's, yeah. it's like, it's like in sports, like good leadership is not just telling people what to do, but it's by your actions. It's like, Oh, that guy, like the best player on the team was the first person in the gym and the last guy to leave. Like that, that says something. So if you're an aloof person, and and then you're talking to some illustrator who's putting together your album design and you're like, this this person doesn't seem to care. Like, should I care that much? Right. <laughs> That's well, what they'd be asking themselves. You know, we last night I was up to like three doing like edits on the vinyl layout. So I have a dude, Dave, who's awesome. Dave Thomas. So, of course, I always think Wendy's. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's English, but, you know, I don't know if they have Wendy's over there. Um, <laughs> never, never, I've actually never thought about that. They're into Burger King there, I feel like, and McDonald's. Yeah. I don't, know if they have I don't think Bur- they have Wendy's, Burger actually. King is it's a, you know. Oh, it's a, yeah. Royal. A royal thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really love Burger King. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, you know, like, I was up just doing, doing the edits and making sure. Because, like, oh, at the end of the day, here's, what I think, what it boils down to is nobody is going to care as much as you because it's not their career. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and so you have to be the person who's, you have to be the end of the line. And you have to be, like, at least spiritually the first in and the last out. Yeah. You that's, know? A, that's great. It's also a balance, too, I think, as you go through it to find out what pieces are valuable to be obsessed about. And then other things that actually don't matter. Uh, the, that's the such a good point. You know what I mean? Because there's so many things. I've died on hills that were not worth dying on, <laughs> but seems so important totally. in the past. Totally. It's a then great point. Only with sort of like the benefit of hindsight, I go, oh, that fucking hill didn't matter at all. But at the time, I was like ready to throw it all away because of that hill. Anyway, I think that's something that you learn as you sort of go along through any sort of endeavor. Yeah. yeah. Are, are there any uh, things on this rollout that you're like, we're not going to do it like last time? Like, is there, is there a specific thing where like, okay, that promo event, not going to do that. Or this sort of, this type of scheduling, we went too hard in in any particular area. Well, yes. So I think, and you kind of alluded to this, um, in terms of where I ended up on the, the end of the last record cycle, which is like not in the best mental or physical place. Mm -hmm. You know, I was pretty... We kind of we kind of ended things like with four and a half months of just like straight, you know. I was home like ten days total, oh. and you know, so for some people that's that is okay. But I think as a front person, especially, you know, it just like takes a toll. And I found myself, I was like, I, I had like lost joy. Mm-hmm. I like was not, and not that like your job has to be fun all of the time. But I think that when you are a performer and a creative person, like you being engaged with some version of joy is actually your job. And when that doesn't happen and you find yourself like kind of wanting to leave a situation being like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, and losing like the gratitude and, and that's kind of where I was at. Uh, and you have a lot of responsibilities. Like you are, you are K Flay. Right. And, and there are fans that want to meet you after the show and radio. Like it's, it's on you to, to yeah. do that heavy lifting. That's not even included in the show itself. Yeah, and I think like I I just feel like I was I was disengaged and like in a, in a in a way like not totally like I still was engaged but I I just wasn't yeah I like lost the joy yeah you're missing the spark when you're in that that moment you know there's obviously a lot of thoughts that go through um, your mind 
Did you ever think about quitting? Did you ever think, you know what, maybe I'll do something else? Or was that, is that doesn't even touch your brain? That wasn't touching my brain, at least not at this point. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is, so I basically like, tour, tour kind of ended. We did another tour in the summer, which actually I have to say was sort of a turning point for me, so I can talk about that. But um, tour end, this big long thing ended. And I went and had a beer with my manager, Seth, who's also my very good friend. And he was just, he kind of like, I don't want to call it intervention, but like a friend thing. He was like, hey, you're my friend and like you don't seem like good right mm-hmm. now. And I'm like kind of worried about you. And normally people don't worry about me because I'm pretty. You got your head on straight. I got my head on straight. That's your reputation like, at least. Yeah. Keep, keep, you know, <laughs> I keep everything pretty much organized and, and good. And he was just like, you know, there there's time for you to to get it together kind of like mentally physically mm-hmm. and basically I did and I, it was just about sort of like retraining my brain and even now like so I started like going to therapy just like and not that anything was so wrong but it was just like hey I'm I'm in this position and I've worked hard to have a job where I get to do this I should be like in feeling engaged and happy like this mm-hmm. is a this I'm living is, my dream it's a dream come true yeah, yeah. and if I can't if I don't feel happy in this space and fulfilled and excited, literally, what's the point? And I pretty much just started writing music and it was like so much creative energy and so much positive energy. And like that's I think the record feels very upbeat and positive, at least for me and hopeful. And that was like how I started out the process. And I think like has been the spirit of everything like i'm in like really good physical shape i like have my mind pretty good i'm yeah it's like i'm good what um even if you didn't think you were gonna quit did you have a a time um like amount of time in your mind that you're like okay i need six months off or or or, and was that did you set parameters was there parameters and and did you break the parameters when you're like no i kind of want to get back to work (laughs) after like a week of home being at home or something like how how did you think it was gonna go when you're walking into that uh chapter I don't know if I even thought about that. It was like day by day. I think it was kind of a day by day thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, like, Mike, you're kind of talking about the, the dying on the hill thing. Yeah. So we postponed a tour. So I was supposed to be in Europe last fall. Oh, I do remember that, actually. And, then you and, can't, you it. and it's happening now this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of... You know, I've never, I never like cancel anything or delay anything. Like, you know, our whole attitude, I think it's very similar to yours. Is just like, by any means necessary, I'm I always down, always show up. Yeah. And it was one of those things where the record was going so well. I was in such a good like mental headspace that we were like, I don't know. I think it's too early to derail that. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, it'd be better. It would make a lot more sense to come back and play the new record in a in eight months or whatever than play like we've already been to Europe and we played all this stuff. Um, So I think there were like practical reasons why it made sense, but that was very gut wrenching for me. And I felt like a complete failure. I was like, wow, I'm horrible person, (laughs) you know? And I was just like, it was, well, this is, it was hard to put it in perspective. And that's the thing is there's this thing that like, there's a self-imposed sort of like um, thing that we do to ourselves where you're like, Oh, I said I would show up and I didn't show up, but like, it was the right thing for you to do to postpone it, right? But then you also then feel all this immense guilt because you're like, like you said, you identify as somebody that's like, I show up, I hit my marks. And then to not, it's like, well, wait a second. This kind of goes against my own self-image of myself or my idea of who I am as a professional or whatever. And it's like, it's hard to sort of like change 
or at least accept that when you're sort of going through sort of like something that maybe you've never been through before. Totally. And I think the other thing, too, is uh, and Seth kind of put this in perspective as well, where he was like, what you're going to give to people when you're. In, you a, come back. in a place to give it mm-hmm. is so much better. Yeah, you know, like is... that's an experience that people are going to really value and really benefit from. And by the way, you're going to be able to as well and be a part of that exchange. Yeah, this is not like a Morrissey thing where it's like a pattern of behavior of like canceling no. tours. Like <laughs> no, no. people, <laughs> the, people, uh, you built up a lot of goodwill, and people, I think, ha- your fans have a sense of who you are. So if you weren't going to do something, it was it'd be for a good reason. And uh, yeah, but but it's funny because. Um, I feel like everybody in their job struggles with it. It's like, oh, if I don't come in today. Uh, and occasionally you do piss off your colleagues or whatever. But most of the time they go, oh, Mike wasn't in today? Okay, cool, whatever. Like, they don't and, really and, care. They go and like fans, lives. of course, want to see you. And, and if Arkells were to cancel something, fans would be bummed. But they go, oh, really? Oh, okay, well, I've never done I that before. Okay, but whatever. Anyway, I'm sure they'll be back. Like People, people get on with their day faster than you think. It's not as heavy to them as it is to you <laughs> probably in making the choice. Yeah. But you touched on something that I thought was really interesting, which is the idea that when you do come back and circle through, you're going to get something back out of it that you wouldn't have if you had done it initially. And that's something that I think people forget as they go, you're going, oh, what am I giving to the people that are showing up? Like, w- it's, it's almost like a one-way exchange. But then it's like almost like, oh, wait, but I started this because I also get something back. Like, sort of, I can, I can feel it. They reciprocate sort of this feeling that I'm putting out to them. And if you're incapable of feeling that, the idea of going out and doing it maybe loses a little bit of the appeal. 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, one of the things that we're doing differently with this record and this time around is the touring schedule is just there's spaces in between things because it's not a matter of like, you know, I really enjoy traveling, playing shows. I'm like suited to the lifestyle. Um, But I think what we realize is, yeah, like there need to be there needs to be like a week off after three weeks of shows. Recharge the battery. yeah, Yeah. And and I think like sometimes like I get trapped again in this idea that yeah, you should just be, you know, always able to do whatever, like, and the fact is, like, you can make your own rules for how to live, like, that's, literally, everyone's just making it up, so why can't you just make your own rules, like, learn from how you thrive, and how you, like, die, and try to, try to adjust accordingly, so that's, we're doing that on this record, which I'm really excited about, and I think the other thing is, on the last record, things were, like, a little bit haphazard because I was already on the road from an EP that like mm. was all contained just within together. the album. Yeah. And this is like the record, it looks a certain way. Everything is like purpley, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> there's um, a continuity to it. There's all. continuity yeah. to it. And it's been nice to be able to do that ahead of time and have the time to roll it out. That, exactly. that's, that's the thing I think every band hopes for is that you're like, okay, we have enough time to make sure that the amp is painted the right color or and our, our wardrobe looks like it should <laughs> or whatever yeah. your objective is. Totally. Yeah. And I think that that's um so I'm I'm very much looking forward to I'm it's like I'm almost feeling the same way about shows that I did when I just started. Mm. Yeah, cool. And the process, which is a really cool thing to feel yeah. like I'm like I'm back in that space and this whole year's been about just like returning to like childlike curiosity. Mhm. And and trying to tap into that within myself. Well, I want to ask about um, you had three producers on the record. Actually, four, four okay. but two of them only did one song. Okay, cool. Um, who is it Tony Little, right? He uh, Joel Little. Joel Little, sorry, and he did some of the Lord stuff. And he yes. And so Joel produced 
one song on this record, which is called Sister. Oh, okay, and yeah. Joel I love that kind song. of we just heard that, yeah. in, uh, and you just heard me soundtrack so good. that. Yeah. That was a great you. tune. Thank you. Um, so Joel is is that would that is that going to be a follow up single? Do you think or that not to lock you into anything? Yeah, don't Mike, don't lock me sorry, into anything. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know yet. Yeah. Okay, fair answer. Hi, <laughs> Greg. Whatever. I can't. Uh, who knows? Um, Joel is Kiwi man. He, yeah, that's from, right. From New Zealand, and yes, he produced the first Lord record, which obviously was gigantic and. Yeah. That, everything um but has done tons of stuff since and is one truly one of the nicest nicest guys ever plus what was really cool about that song which is about friendship and sisterhood as a as a non-gendered concept mm. um he has two young daughters oh. and so they were like in his studios in his house so they were like running around like in the pool it was ve- it was a very good environment what would you say his secret sauce is because i'm always interested in producers and what makes them special, and sometimes in a definable way, and sometimes it's hard to describe. Yeah, it. I like that you like asking that. Yeah, we like we talked to um, Matt Schultz from Cage Elephant, and mm-hmm. he did their last record with uh, John Hill. Yeah, and he was like, you know, the thing that's interesting about him is that he's like kind of a quiet guy. He lets things, uh, you know, he's not like domineering. In the room. do you know John Hill? I know John. Okay, yeah, so very you, well, is that yeah. an accurate description of him? Totally. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And obviously, that guy is a genius in his own way but uh, but it's cool to say okay he, he seems to have a bit of a soft touch and he seems to be a good listener and that's what makes him special right would you say totally so what so with uh joel what would you say i think with joel it's actually similar to that joel does not have a big personality um or an intrusive personality um i think he's a good I think he's a combination of being both a good listener and very decisive. Uh-huh. And I think decisiveness is a great trait in a producer. And I found this with Mike Elizondo, too, on my last record. Oh, yeah. He's very like, we picked the synth and we recorded it, and that is it. That's what's happening. And they picks the tone before it doesn't change anything in the box. Mm. So it's like, that's what it is. And I, and I think that there's something, when you're the artist in the room, that can be very, very helpful about that. When it's obviously when it's good decisiveness, yeah. but um, yeah, I think Joel's similar, and um, he has he has very good feedback on things that are working and don't work, and he's extremely communicative and just reliable and normal. Yeah, yeah. which I personally appreciate. Everybody involved in this record, as also a fun fact, every studio environment I worked in was a house. Oh, cool. So nothing was recorded in a like studio. So you're going to have certain vibes if you're recording in a house. Like you said, the daughters were in the pool and all that. Yeah. I'm always interested. You said that, you know, he was very communicative in things that worked and didn't work. As an artist, how do you receive uh, negative? I, I don't want to use the word negative feedback, but maybe when something doesn't work, if they say this isn't quite working, what do you think? Are you someone that goes, well, shit, I'm going to fight for that? Or are you kind of like, I hear what you're saying. I, you know, politely disagree. Where do you land on that spectrum? I might even swing further to the like, okay, let's throw it out. Interesting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm, and I I wasn't always that way, but I think I've, I've found that like when somebody in the room's not feeling something and granted it has to be someone I like trust. So it wouldn't just some random person shows up, but if it's a collaborator and they're, they're really not feeling something, I pretty much will be like, then let's throw it out. Um, though that being said, there have been a few things I've fought for, um, but I I really tried to be not precious on this record, and even like there's a song called "This Baby Don't Cry," which we just heard, which you also check, just which heard, is awesome. Thank you. Um, which is out now. 
Oh, cool. Or okay, came out. Oh, awesome. When they hear this, yeah. cool. When you that, hear this, it, it will be out sick. in the world. Yeah. And what's what's interesting about that song? That song has had so had a couple different iterations, all done in rapid succession. And there was a time in which it had a singing part. Because mm, it's more of a rap. This thing. melodic chorus. Mm-hmm. And Tommy, the producer that I worked on, who's that? Tommy English. Oh yeah. Who I did a lot of my last record with, and a, much of this half of this record. Mm-hmm. Who's my actually my really good friend? He lives like four minutes up the road from me <laughs> we grew up both in the suburbs of chicago he's just like and he's a great he's truly like especially in this recording process our friendship just got solidified like to the to the next level which is really really great and i'm i'm very very grateful for but um we were both like this rules like this singing part so cool like yeah this is great and I sent it to Dan Reynolds, who's from Imagine Dragons, who's like my label head at Interscope. We spoke a lot about him and your relationship yes. in our first interview. So go back and listen, listeners, if you want to hear about that. Go back and listen. So I sent it to him and he was like, eh, I don't know. I like the other <laughs> version. And it, my first instinct was to be like, you're wrong. This version's better. <laughs> but then I was like, OK, first of all, like what Dan doesn't care. You know, like this is feedback that's literally just to help. And. I listened back and I was like, Tommy, I think, I think, I think we got to get rid of that part. Mm. And he was like, no, dude, that's so good. And then like we both came around, got rid of it. And three days later, we're like that part. No. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I think, and there are a couple songs that have had. Yeah. You need to practice like like non-attachment in the studio because it's so easy. And I was like trying to work on some songs today. And there's like a lyric that I was like in my mind. I was like, oh, this needs to be the lyric. This is the lyric in this <laughs> part of the song. And that needs to stay. And how do I keep it? And how do I make it work? And then I, and then I stepped back for a second. I was like, who cares? Who cares about that lyric? Like, why do I care? Nobody's heard this song. This isn't even a song. Yeah. But I've acted like this is some divine inspiration. When none of it is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So then you have to go, oh, okay. Maybe there's another idea. Okay, that could be lo- like, you know, step back, you know, sit with it for a few days and go, oh, okay, yeah, no, that works too. <laughs> so much of writing, I think, is just being open to the the replacement of ideas. Yeah. Like even, I read often interviews with, novelists and I think a big part you know a lot of people do outlines at the beginning of the process uh, but I think for many successful novelists it's about revision and about kill your babies yeah and it's and and that's like it's easier with songwriting because the the babies are shorter you know minutes long (laughs) and there's like a book seems and actually I was reading oh my god first I I have to recommend this book I mentioned it earlier so there's a book called Pachinko okay by Min Jin Lee, I, you know, I say this with no self-interest. It is just one of the best books I've read in the last five years. So I highly recommend it. But her first novel um, is called Free Food for Millionaires. And it's also good, but Pachinko is like big time, big time thumbs up. But there's an intro to Free Food for Millionaires um, that's included because it came out 10 years ago and kind of now is just getting reprinted because Pachinko was such a big yeah. hit. And she talks about basically she had written like 300 pages of this first book and scrapped the whole or like basically like wrote a whole book and just like, nah. scrapped it yep. <laughs> and started over. And I'm like, you know, this is how you get to be like the the writer person that you want to be. This is how you get to that spot is like you have to go through the the death of like the lesser idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's OK. And non-attachment. Yeah. Well, it's also a delicate alchemy because it's like 
how do you know which is the better idea? And you just have to trust. And there's no instincts. counterfactual out there. Where it's no, like, there's, there's no, no universe where it's like actually, if we went with the other <laughs> version of Baby Don't Cry, right? right? Yeah, yeah. You just don't. That's know. very true. It's all subjective. You know what I mean? And then ultimately, you're the arbiter of your own taste and what you want to put out. So the decision ultimately lies with you. And it's like I guess you'll never really know. But then once you make the decision and the Jello's set, you just got to keep it moving. Yes, that's it's so true. But there is, and I think it comes with. I think sometimes people have a preternatural sense of this is right, this is wrong. Mm. I didn't have that. I had to develop it over time. I feel like I have it now. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of like a late bloomer in a lot of ways. Um, But I have that. I have that like Compass North now, I think, where I can take the feedback, be like, you know what, let's scrap it, and then feel that in my heart of hearts it was the right decision. Yeah. We were talking uh, on your web series on Instagram Live that you don't write anything really before you get in the studio. Like so, th- so really, you just like book a session with the producer that you ended up recording the songs, cutting the songs with, mm-hmm. and then walk us through "Baby Don't Cry." Well, this "Baby Don't Cry" is actually okay. Let's let's walk, walk no, us through b- b- bad, uh, bad 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 vibes. vibes. Yeah. Okay, bad vibes is a simpler one. Cool. So Tommy English, yeah. the producer, at the time was living in Nashville. So this is the one, this is, there are two songs on the record that were written prior to the end of my tour. Sure. Okay. They were written in like a pocket when I had a week off earlier yeah. and I went to write. Mm-hmm. So Tommy was living in Nashville. Again, I had a studio in his house. I came through and he played that at the beginning of the song clearly my I don't have perfect pitch that was not an F I don't know what (laughs) note that was (laughs) I don't either (laughs) something wrong and I was just like "Mm." Uh. which is just an octave it's not even a melody yeah um, so it just came out of you just just came out of me and and really at that point I had no agenda because I hadn't begun the album I had no do you go in with like a notebook of lyrics though or are you writing them in the studio no She's like Jay-Z, man. You just literally show up and then you're like, let's make something. I show up and I say, let's make something. And I don't have any lyrics. Sometimes I will have listened to something, PCAST, I've read something, and an idea from Wait, 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 wait. Did you just refer to a podcast as a PCAST? Yeah, she's been doing that all day. That's a new one to us. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. All I, I only call them PCAST. Really? And like, (laughs) in fact, on (laughs) on the like... People like in serious text chains of our touring group, people will be like, Oh, Christine's P casting. Like, that means I'm like in my bunk and I'm listening to a podcast. Yeah, like, that's great. This is going to become the thing now. Yeah. yeah. Please, I would, that would give me great okay. joy. All right. Welcome to the P cast. <laughs> All right. So you've just listened to a P cast and you're going to so the studio. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, if there was something, you know, that, that, w- that came up or an idea or a mm-hmm. feeling, I might be like, Hey, I just listened to this. Maybe we could like vibe on that. But it never ends up being that. That always just ends up being kind of a spiritual beginning place. Sure. And then it's always like there's some melodic information and then we start. Now, there have been exceptions to this rule where I've written things by myself or mm. like little riffs like the first song on the album, which is called I Like Myself. Yeah, I did a version of on guitar and sent to JT, who's the producer on that and my collaborator and has also played in my band for many years and is amazing and I love him. And I was like, but I don't want to do it with like guitars like this is wrong. We should do it with synths. It should be feel like dance song. And then I went to Nashville and we did it. Mm. But so sometimes there's like an idea I have just at home. Yeah. So um, bad vibes. Get back to bad vibes. So bad vibes. Yeah. So I go bad vibes. And I was like, man, you know, I've been hanging out with all these people. 
lately and they're very they're like cynical as a position mm. you know not in reaction to anything and not not because it's it's married just kind of their starting place they're yeah in yeah. this way yeah. right right home plate is like cynicism yeah and you know i'm thinking like especially at this point like trump's newly elected there's just a the you know the the cloud of of darkness mm-hmm. over everything and it just feels like i mean i guess it always feels like the world's there's bad things but you know just with everything i'm like the last thing we need is just pointless cynicism that's not benefiting anyone it's just sort of a it's like a posturing and i really don't like posturing and i find earnest genuine people to be the people i like and tommy's very similar so i just started listing all these things that like i've seen on people or people have done that i that it just like it just makes me feel bad you know, like, you know, when you hang out with some people and you walk away thinking like I'm prettier or more handsome, I'm s- you feel smart, you feel good about yourself, you feel like oh, yeah. interesting. They give you energy. They, they don't drain your energy. Exactly. I know what you mean. And this is like a song. I was thinking about all the people like when you wake up in the morning, you're like, or you get home at night, you're like, I'm s- I spent my night with them. Yeah. Like, I feel like I feel crappy now. And that's like the opposite of. I think how any of us want to feel. So that was, and then I wrote it and we recorded the vocals the next day. So, so is he like, uh, at the synth or like making up a little beat like, uh, on the computer? Is that mm-hmm. kind of, and then like with all, all these people, I'll jump in on certain instruments and play. So really on record, the only things I play and it depends on the part. Cause it's always, the rule is sort of like who has the energy of the part. They play it. Oh, uh, cool. So like on this baby don't cry, I played the bass line. I'm not a great bass player. Tommy's a much better mm-hmm. bass player. But like I had the spirit of the song, and the song's about being yourself. Yeah. So like that's that's the decision there. Um, that's a great uh, way uh, to be guided in the studio. You, you know, gonna start, yeah. you gonna start playing bass on songs? No, but I mean like when our Kells record, most of the guitar stuff is Mike because because Mike can do it. I think better and faster. Like even your guitar parts, you would play live. Mike will do those. Yeah, in the sometimes, sometimes. But then sometimes I'll like add a part that Mike might typically take. But sure. I'm like, I, I kind of have this. I feel like I have the spirit of the part. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating philosophy. Yeah. It's also different because you're in a band. Yeah, sure, it's different. So yeah. every people have roles, and like you also yeah. don't want to be like, yeah, you know, what, I'm going to play bass on this yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That's why Ringo quit the Beatles for a week. Yeah, Paul, Paul jumped in on drums <laughs> on back in the USSR. Ringo laid his tracks down. I didn't even know that. Ringo went home, and Paul's like George. Martin, let's keep it rolling. And then he laid down. So Paul McCartney on the recording on the White Album of Back in the USSR is Paul McCartney on drums. Paul and also plays drums on um, The Ballad of John and Yoko. That's just John and Paul. John and Paul did all the recording. There's no George or Ringo on that record. Yeah. You I know did not it know this. Easy. Yeah. Crazy. Well, okay, so that yeah. can lead to friction <laughs> in the in the band context, so I, don't, I can't advocate for that. But um, And... Yeah, we we recorded a version. We I recorded the vocals like seated, mm-hmm. you know, just like whatever, and then what? Then I went back on tour. Yeah. In revisiting, as I'm beginning to work on the album, everyone's like, "Man, you know, this song's pretty cool." So I was like, "Well, I have to retrack vocals, mm-hmm. and we got to redo." So basically, then we went to L.A. because now he was back living in L.A., and I redid everything. We redid all this crap. It sucked. Didn't have the same vibe. No, it didn't have the same energy at all. And bad I, vibes. It had bad. You know, it had like it just had. It didn't have like the spirit. It was still good and fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we returned. We added a few different things, and I added layers, and I did some harmonies and things like that. But everything was written just there in that room, and 
very stream of consciousness um, with that song as well. I wrote the first verse in the studio with him. I took a, a normally what I do is I take like a, a little loop and then I write the rest at home. Oh. I usually finish, I usually do a second verse and a bridge at home. Mm. Oh, cool. But yeah, but getting getting through that first verse and chorus, that's the hardest shit. Once you get past that, you're like, okay, let's have some fun. Totally, because yeah. you, have, you have structure, you have yeah. rules. Yeah. So that was how that one came about. And it's pretty, a pretty consistent process. Oh, that's cool. It's, um, what's Dan Reynolds like as an A&R guy, like in terms of like a, a collaborator to show music to? Dan, I mean, Dan's an artist, so he's pretty chill. And he knows what it's like to be in your shoes. Yeah. And I think he also knows that I'm pretty Mm self-sufficient. So I think he's he's good at giving me space to do my thing, but is around for advice when I need it. Which is kind of honestly the best way to work because it's not like he's not a dude who feels like he needs to be emailing on a chain to prove that he's working. Uh, sure. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, everyone knows that guy's working. Yeah, and working out too. Yeah, yeah. it's like people. <laughs> exactly. in me- there's people in meetings that will say things, and everybody will stop and listen. And they go, "They just said that so that they could talk in this meeting. They didn't <laughs> yes. really need to say anything, but it was like just so that there'd be a record of that they were there." Whereas it's like it's always people that are quiet, and then they're just like, "Oh, they're comfortable within themselves. They don't feel the need to be like." reiterate yeah. something that didn't need to be said or email chains i've seen yeah. a few of those yep too. sounds good guys it's like okay that yeah, wasn't necessary. It's like, <laughs> yeah it's like why why yeah. do you why are you doing this uh-huh. like have the confidence to just be like engaged but not inserting yourself yeah. and that's what i think that's that's what i really appreciate about dan mm-hmm. is like he's not just like out here on email chains you know <laughs> that's a perfect way to end it that's All a right. perfect way to, yeah. to, to sum that up Dan <laughs> uh, no but I guess to wrap it up we're going to wrap it up yeah, now. Wrap we've, it up. we've had you now for a good 44 minutes yeah. but I like that we, we go along with you we can talk forever I feel well, like we've been talking for five listen, minutes when it comes down to when <laughs> <laughs> we've only been talking for five listen guys when it comes to uh, PCasts you're the best <laughs> uh, I guess as we wrap it up what are your hopes for this record it will be out or it will be out in July but people will be Excited for it. You'll have, what, two singles out, I guess, by the time this comes out? Yeah, we will have two singles out. So Bad Vibes and This Baby Don't Cry. And my hopes for the album are that, you know, I continue to to grow the project in in the way that it has, which is to say, like, an honest, in the honest spirit of, like, being creative and trying to put a little bit of, like, good energy into the world. Um, And I think... You know, the last year in particular has been a time for me to really, I feel like the biggest thing that's happened is like a a self-possession and self-understanding that's like grounding me and keeping me in a a good place where I'm closer to joy Mm -hmm. in whatever domain that it is. Like whether it's my family or my work or even just like my random social life, my like external social life um and i i hope that the record gives people allows people to also engage with that like the this baby don't cry is is basically a song about saying like you want to call me a baby fine that's powerful mm-hmm. it's powerful to be vulnerable like the best people who change the world are people who are like vulnerable and open and who aren't afraid to cry so it's like yeah call me a baby so what mm-hmm. you know and um there's a line in the song where I go, um, I used to want to say an early goodbye, but I'm a disco queen. I just keep staying alive. Yeah, I love that line. I was actually just telling Ash <laughs> about it because I was like, oh, that's a great little record. And I think like to me, that's what that's like the spirit of the record. It's just like 
you know, everybody feels like quitting or feels like they're at the low point or feels like they've lost the plot. Um, literally everybody goes through that many times in their life. And it's about, it's about having the wherewithal to be resilient and having the support to be resilient, which can be very difficult. And like, that's, that's just life. It's yeah. just constantly feeling like you can't do it. And then keep doing it, and then good things happen. And then, you know, so this record is a reminder to just, like, be the disco queen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in your own life. Well, I, I always feel like uh, I'm attracted to earnest, positive music. And I know there's, uh, you know, a lot of very popular music that's, that's angsty and a little angry or cynical. But, uh, you know, hearing your new record, which I've had a sneak peek of, and, like, you know, have you heard the Lizzo new record? Yeah, like, which I love. Which I love. And there's actually, uh, there's a, you guys are cousins or something in that way. Like, there's a, a spirit of, like, just taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. which I think is really powerful and, and should be heard more often in, in popular music. Yeah. And well, I at least in my opinion. Or, or I, no, it should it's be. what you're drawn but to. I, but I crave that, and yeah. I'm glad it exists. Well, and I think, like, I do think, and, and then I will shut up in a sec, but I feel like a big sister, like, a lot of people have commented to me, like, just fans, like, yeah, it's kind of like, I think my role in this in this world of music at this point is, like, I'm an adult woman, and I'm at a pretty, like, I feel like I've had a, a pretty decent life, and I have good relationships with people that I, you know, over the course of decades, and I think I have some, like, actual advice and perspective that could be helpful to people. You've done the trial and error. I've done the trial and error, and, like, you know, when I was 16, 17, I was listening to women in their 30s write songs and like now i get to be the person (laughs) potentially that a teenager or anyway any age of course but like that's that's sort of how i feel about this is like this is my big sis moment and i'm very happy to 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 be there thank you so much for your time thank you guys that was awesome you guys are the best no you're the best Welcome to the dessert. My goodness, it's been so long since we've done a dessert. Uh, well, you just listened to us talk to Cave Flay. Uh, we are here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? And because this is kind of like a hybrid of freedom yeah. and an actual dessert, we also have Erica, who's still here. Well, this is kind of like the first dessert of this kind. And this was my father-in-law's idea, by the way. Oh, John, shout out. And he likes to consider himself uh, like Fred Norris from the Howard Stern Show. He's a big Howard Stern fan, as am I. So he told me to let him handle this one for the topic. <laughs> and he, he even like wrote some jokes for me to say. Producer John. Yeah, but he said not to credit him, but to just say the jokes. But I feel like a loser saying someone else's joke. Okay. So I'm going to just click on the, uh, the article right now. And, and by the way, the first of anything always sucks. So this dessert is going to kind of suck just because it's the first of its kind. You know, the first freedom. Under the, bus, the first yeah. freedom's horrible, but, you know, it's the first of something. Okay, so John wants us to talk about that a judge rules that parents of a deceased West Point cadet can use his sperm for surrogate birth. Wow. Mm. Man. That's interesting. That is interesting. With no prep. Thoughts? Yeah, he, so he died in a tragic skiing accident. Okay. So it but his parents want to continue his legacy oh. and their family lineage after a New York judge said they can use his frozen sperm to produce a child. So, so, so this guy had, had been to a sperm bank while he was alive, and the, so this, this sperm is sitting somewhere. He has the tragic ski accident. The parents want access to the sperm. Yeah, what 21-year-old's freezing their sperm? Like, yeah. that's amazing uh, foresight. Well, he was in the Army. 
Yeah, that I could guess. Be why. I guess. Yeah, that's still <laughs> it's a good precondition foresight. of joining the army. No, actually, that's probably smart though. If you think you're going if to he, combat, if, yeah. If you oh, had like a loved course. one at home, yeah. if yes. you had like a, I was thinking about it as like a, like a way to check, like you know, how they check your health to join mm. the army. Like you have to proper vision and all that. It's like the jokes. Well, John's joke said he. Okay, so we're not actually supposed to discuss this. We are, we are. But John, John wanted me to kind of like off the cuff say like, so so how do they extract the sperm? I mean, well, I guess being dead, he's already stiff. <laughs> oh god. Okay. <laughs> Next subject. Uh, no, I think there's more jokes. No, no. That that is the subject. Sorry, was I supposed to come up with more? I thought we could just talk about we'll this. We'll discuss for... this guy. We'll oh, discuss... Okay, okay. But first of all, was there more jokes? I just wanted uh, and John just added, like, his goal is to w- give me a bunch of jokes, but this is the first one. So he said, this is a good one on so many levels. It's funny, has moral, ethical issues that could be open to debate. But this in the, the joke end, or the joke. story? <laughs> but th- there's kind of a joke. In it. But he goes, but in the end, how wacky are these parents? Mm, so, yeah. Sure. It's a bit of a like, joke. Like wacky? Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> he, oh, he did put wacky in uh, quotations. <laughs> no, he didn't. Um, okay, so obviously this is a bizarre story, so that's why we're having a laugh, even though somebody passed away, which is sad. Okay, okay, uh, let me ask you this. If you guys, say we're like going into a situation where you're like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to come out of this, I'm going to whatever, so you do put your, your sperm into a sperm bank. How would you feel about th- your parents or somebody, a girlfriend, a wife, um, using your sperm to uh, procreate after you're gone? I think it would be very cool. You want your legacy out here even though if you can't sort of partake in the the raising of the child yeah and the uh the surrogate person i would make sure that i would hope that they would find someone who could create someone as close to me as possible like in the way they raise the kid no just someone who's a lot like my my mom was or something just so you could get that perfect balance where it's actually like another shane type person yeah you just want to be cloned essentially yeah as close as you can to becoming cloned just just (laughs) For the parents who want to uh, have another Shane around. I've often thought about the idea of, like, say they have, like, some DNA, like a hairbrush from, like, John Lennon or something like that. And then them because Because I guarantee we can clone a human right now. It's just obviously ethically and morally there's major issues with that. But let's say that you clone John Lennon. Does that, does that clone – is that clone a genius? Or, or is environment and, and, and nurture a factor in whether they actually become, like, a writer or a, a singer or anything like I that? I think the latter. I think that – I don't think he'd be a genius. You think it's environment? Pardon? You think it's environment? Yeah, like if you cloned his, if you cloned John Lennon tomorrow, he wouldn't be, he probably wouldn't even speak English. (laughs) Depending on where he grew up, yeah. No, but when you clone them, they don't come out as 40-year-olds, right? They come out from babies, and then they kind of learn English the way. So their brain is already smart and, like, developed? No, I mean, there's there's definitely some uh, hereditary things. Genes like that get passed along that maybe have a predisposition for music. I mean, the Lennon thing, like the way he met McCartney, like that I don't see being replicated. But what if you so you clone McCartney and Lennon? No, 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 no. But but just Lennon. Like so, you clone Lennon. Clearly, this 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 naturally will have some sort of some musical ability. Maybe they're drawn to music. Maybe they're not. Maybe they get into something. Like whatever. Like, do they grow up to 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 achieve great things? Is it inherent in them? Whatever it is. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the same as the Beatles. He's not going to meet McCartney. You know, the mom's not going to die. He's when not going to be a little ahead his mom of the baby when he's yeah, All those formative. There's things. a conflict of events that sort of put someone in position to allow their genius to flourish. He won't have those things, but does he still accomplish like great things? I mean, I, Lennon I, is a funny one because I think. The the son of John Lennon might just be like um, sort of an arty, uh, sort of slightly tormented, antagonistic person. If like you're if you're getting those 
sensibilities passed down from your parents, which I think are you can uh, inherit. I think uh, um, use another example like a mathematician's son or sure. something. Like I, and like it turns out I'm really good at math. Like th- those are there are but other. We're not skills. talking about sons. We're I'm talking, talking about clones. Oh, we're talking about clones. Yeah, that's what I'm so saying. I we like I'm about. saying, if you literally oh, take sure. Abraham Lincoln and clone him. Does that baby grow up to accomplish great things? So if you clone someone, they start as a baby? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh. They start uh, yeah, yeah, it's not, John Lennon doesn't come out of like a fully grown thing. <laughs> you can't speak English. You, you, t- you take the, you take the, 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 the DNA and, you, and, and the biology and you clone it. Mm. And then you ha- the baby has to grow up and a baby has to do all this stuff. What I'm wondering is 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 like if Kawhi Leonard is if, thank you if Kawhi Leonard is cloned and he's no one throws him a basketball would he still be able to become a good basketball or is player? Con, does Kanye West does he become like a fashion designer does, if he doesn't get into rap or like like are these people that we consider exceptional in society if you were to redo it with everything that's about them physically exactly the same the brain all that you clone it and they grow up do they still accomplish great things or do is it like a, a confluence of circumstances is I, success I say, luck I say both like yeah. if if I met Paul McCartney when I was 10, yeah. that doesn't mean I'm going to write hit songs. Right. You have to have that DNA in you to be able to do that. So I think he would still write the hits, but he wouldn't be as successful as the Beatles because that's a one in a million. And a combination all of all those that. people, like a combination of all their talent is luck, obviously. Yep. And like opportunities that arose for them. So could you create that same sort of... Yeah. Well, it'd be an interesting experiment. Amount of luck for their... Because clones. it's like if 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 you raise that clone in an isolated environment, I'd just be very fascinated to see what they're actually naturally drawn to, and if they actually, you know what I mean. I'm like, sure we'll find out one of these days. I I believe, and I think there are probably clones amongst us. Yeah. Not not like lands. our age, but like I I think that somewhere in the world somebody has already started the process of cloning humans, and there might be a three year old walking around that is a clone of somebody wow. that obviously is like outlawed in a lot of places, and, and there's certain like restrictions. But I feel like science and progress and like people that are into that kind of thing probably couldn't stop themselves from trying. Like, I mean, we we cloned a what was it a sheep dolly? Yeah. Yeah. There was an amazing podcast, a uh, Joe Rogan's podcast with Jamie Metzel. It's from a couple weeks ago, and this guy's like an AI expert, like technology expert, and he they get into the subject and blows your mind i highly recommend that that episode interesting um but back to the the matter at hand mm-hmm. um, is that another whack-off joke <laughs> <laughs> um my question is are these do these parents expect to have like a grandmother grandfather relationship with whoever what, with the kid when the kid is born like are, are they going to choose a single mom or like i guess parents that can't conceive and be like hey <sighs> we're, the, we're also the grandparents because you have our kids dna you, well, well you, you, could, you could pay a surrogate to carry the child, but you do need to find an egg. So, so basically, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, but so then is the egg a part of the surrogate, and the surrogate's like, "Yep, take my like, I will birth the baby with my egg being the other half of the equation." Or do you get an egg donor? You get the sperm donor, and then you find it the third party to basically bring the the baby to term. Yeah, like they'd have to work out the details, but I imagine these parents want to raise it like their own child. I don't like think their own they, or like their own grandchild. Well, I don't know. Like, did this guy have a girlfriend? Did the soldier have a girlfriend? Mm. Is that who they're they're hoping would like bring the baby? It to Does term? not say in this article. Right. Did they ever have a discussion with him while he was alive if they were okay with this happening? Doesn't say here. Yeah, mm. I mean that's a, that's interesting. Big I mean, questions. I doubt it. It's it's like, hey, in the event you die, we still want to have a grandkid. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Yeah. Would you want this done? Do no, you? No, definitely not. I, I like. I always assume that. Um, I, I say this to Lauren sometimes. Like, if we ever, like, I don't want. It, if there's one reason why I don't want to have a kid, it's just like I just assume the kid's gonna get all my shitty character traits. I feel like Lauren has much better genes than I do, 
and I was just like, I just don't get me, I don't get me involved. But you have very good character traits as well. Yeah. Don't, don't you think? Those I know. Will pass I just on? assume they'll get all the shit ones. Right. Well, what what's your shitty character trait? Uh lots. I don't Name one. It. No, it's no. There's lots of bad shit. Wow. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's interesting to me because I've heard you say this many times over drinks. But it's like you're such a positive person in general. I feel like you sort of always envision the best possible outcome. But in this specific case, you envision the absolute worst outcome. Yeah, you know what it is. I think I've seen enough movies or read um, you know stories about kids that um, come from like really good backgrounds, and I have parents, uh, friends actually, that had a really hard time despite the fact they like had awesome parents and raised in like really grounded middle class sort of circumstances and still had a really hard time with life and I think the idea of like your kid like becoming a drug addict or schizophrenic or like and just and being really sad and living a, a tough existence I was like I don't want to put myself through that that's where my mind goes uh, if when it comes to having a kid right yeah. right yeah and I also don't care about my legacy at all either like I don't care about seeing another little me I mean I'm sure I'll have a kid one day I'll be like this is the best like I'm sure I, I will love it with with and when that day comes but right now but it's not a thing that i'm like oh i can't wait to pass my family name on that's just like not something and like my dad's not like that at all even though he clearly did it but isn't that why people want to become famous and write hit songs so their legacy kind of lasts forever no i do it for the raptors tickets <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> that's it that's all that is our episode thank you so much for tuning in uh thank you to k flay for coming on this was our first hybrid of sort of like a conventional episode in freedom max i thought it went away thanks to producer john for uh, figuring out a dessert for us yeah it was a big shout out to john Next one will be better, though. <laughs> I thought it was fine. I, that was, that was actually, good. Johnny, that was a great topic. Yeah, uh, also, yeah. I like uh, having to think on your feet there, because usually we give ourselves a little bit of prep on the subject, but this is cool. Yeah, man, doing it loose and fast. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Mike Munch Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. And if we do, do not make a baby for my sperm. Yeah.